Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all of the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This morning, we're going to begin talking about one of the most important things the Bible says about you. You just heard those words in Genesis chapter 1, and we are in this series at the beginning of the beginning. In this study in Genesis, we are laying the foundation of our faith, of our hope in the world, and one of the most crucial things we can note and take note of in these first chapters of Genesis is the image of God ideology. You see, this is not just some archaic doctrine or abstract belief that has no intrinsic value for my life today. It's not like the questions, how many angels can fit on the end of a ballpoint pen, or can God make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? No, the image of God ideology has true, real value for your life today and how you live it day by day. And that's where I want to begin this morning, is is talking about why it matters. Why does it matter that we talk about the image of God and we conceptualize and we put in practice this ideology? Well, let's just start with number one, that the Bible says that every human being is made in the image and the likeness of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, the first implication is our self-image, right? The Bible says that no matter who you are, No matter what you did, no matter the type of records you hold, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life, what kind of, or how low you've gone, every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being, the Bible says, reflects God. Therefore, there is a rock-solid, irrefutable, glory-filled, objective significance about you and every person that lives, every single one of us. That's what the image of God ideology stands for. Now, why is that so crucial? Well, I'll give you one significant reason. One of my main responsibilities here at the Vero Beach Church of Christ is working with young life. I work with youth. I work with young adults. I work with young professionals. And I would hate the task of sitting down um, and counting out how many times a young person has sat down across from me and told me that they have lost the significance of their life. I would hate that task. And if I didn't have these words here in Genesis chapter 1 and other places in the Bible about being made in the image and my intrinsic value that that means, if I didn't have those words, I wouldn't have anything to offer them. Like science itself doesn't have anything to offer and support that there's anything significant about human beings. Are we special? Are we complex? Absolutely. But is there any kind of intrinsic value outside of our complexity? Nah. When it comes to significance or virtue or value, science says we're just like everything else. Bertrand Russell, he was an 18th century philosopher. He said it this way. He said, we are the product of causes that had no provision of the end they were achieving. The hopes, fear, loves, and beliefs of our mind are just the outcome of accidental collocation of atoms. That's what you are, according to science. That's what you are, according to mainstream philosophy. 
You are a collocation of atoms. You are random. There is nothing significant about you. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., Chief Justice, high intellectual, he said it this way, scientifically, I see no reason for attributing to a man a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or a grain of sand. Are you more complex? Absolutely. But significant? No. Not to science. Not to the world. Not to secularism. And you know, the conundrum that this creates is that secular philosoph uh, philosophers and uh, therapists and counselors, they'll say things like, well, you are valuable. You are significant. There is value for you. But secularist or secular philosophy has no basis for this at all. G.K. Chesterton, he's an old-time theologian. I love the way he put it. He, he captures this conundrum in a pithy statement. He says, quote, the secular person first arrives at a political meeting where he complains that the natives are treated as if they are beasts. But then he goes to a scientific meeting where he proves that, well, all human beings really are beasts. <laughs> and, and I don't want to oversimplify this too far, but my point is that Christianity, because of the doctrine of the image of God, it can say with no hesitation that God doesn't make junk. Like, I can sit across from these young people who tell me that they have lost the significance of their life, and I can look them in the eyes and tell them, you were made in the image of God. Therefore, God has value in you. He views you as valuable, period. There's no working around it. You are made in God's image. So it helps our self-image. We realize that we are made in the image of God. But number two, we realize that others also have intrinsic value. You see, the way we treat people who just pass us in life, who pass us on the sidewalk, across our paths, how we treat them, the random person in our life, will give us insight to how much we buy into this idea that all people are made in the image of God. I want to give a big shout out to this church, and particularly one of our members, John Pickrell. At the beginning of this year, we met for a regular Sunday. You remember those, right? It was just a few months ago, before COVID-19, before wearing masks, before being separated or having to do online worship. We were meeting in our church building together. And John, on that particular morning, he recognized or realized that there was a young man that he didn't know. And so John, he went and introduced himself, realized this young man is from out of town, doesn't know anybody, is a young adult. And so he introduced him to me and Darium. We got to know him, got him connected with our group. Now, many of you who might be watching this know that young man by the name of William. Well, he's gone now. Um, his medical rotation, which is the reason he was temporarily here, it moved him to another location. So we left on good terms. But what I want to do is I want to read you a letter that William wrote this church. Now, keep in mind, this is after um, coming here, after just typing in Church of Christ in Vero Beach, found us, didn't know anybody, got connected with our young adults group, got connected with the church, went through an international catastrophe with this church after just knowing them and began serving through that catastrophe and made lifetime relationships and all of that you had a part of as a church family who took in this young man. And I want to read to you what he wrote. Vero Beach Church, I want to thank you all for the tremendous hospitality and love you have shown me from the day I arrived. 
The past five months have been an adventure that I thank God for every day, despite the hardships that we endured. This congregation is truly a beacon of light that continues to grow through the blessings of your incredible elders, ministers, and each of you. To Peyton and Darian, as well as the young adults, thank you for the acceptance, growth, and friendship. I look forward to seeing you all again very soon. To Tracy and Joe, thank you for giving me the opportunity to serve and live amongst the fine people here who have set a high standard for what I hope to find in a local church community. Words do not adequately describe how much Vero Beach and this church mean to me now. So I will say this. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Ephesians 6, 23-24. With love and thanksgiving, William James. Listen, James chapter 3, verse 9. It says, With tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The same tongue, the same mouth, the same mind. We tear down, we disgrace, we yell at others who are made in the image of God, and then we turn around and we worship God with it. And if you look at James and you look at that passage closely, James will tell you that is bad theology. You don't understand who God is if you don't understand that we are all made in the image of God and that we all are worthy of praise and being lifted up. That's not who we're supposed to be. This right here, the experience that William had with this church, this is who we're supposed to be. This is what it means to recognize others' intrinsic value because we are all made in the image of God. Now, as we're going to see here in a moment, when we dive deeper into the Genesis text, is our human purpose is to cultivate and to tend to sacred places and to continue to produce sacred spaces. Now, I'm going to take some liberties throughout the rest of the sermon, and I'm going to say some statements. Maybe they're bold. Maybe they don't make full sense. I'm going to encourage you to go and look up thebiblepeel.com, or wherever you find podcasts, look up The Bible Peel. Every week, Tracy and I are having a more in-depth discussion over Sunday sermon. We release those on Thursday. You can access them and watch them, and I encourage you to do that. Let's keep moving. The cultivation. So, All human, human purpose is to cultivate and tend to sacred spaces. And that cultivation, it can be found in my ability to dignify and honor and lift up my fellow human. I want to listen. I want to love. There should never be a get lost feel about your spirit or your demeanor. Do you know the fruits of the spirit? Of course you do. Right? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. You know them, but do you treat all humans, all humans, everybody you meet, do you treat them with that level of, of intensity? I know I don't because I'm human and I'm broken and I fail. But that's what it means to live as the image of God is to recognize others as also made in that image. The implications of the image of God. 
It shows me that I have value. It reminds me that others have value. And then thirdly, and let's get big here, the implications of civil and human rights also plays a big role in how I internalize human, uh, how I internalize humans being made in the image of God. Like, where did that idea come from? Where did the idea that every human being has rights, regardless of race, regardless of national origin, regardless of class, like everybody has rights that, that cannot be trampled upon. Where did, that, where did that idea come from? Well, some people claim that it's a Western development. Maybe, right? But if you look at the root of Western thought, which are the Greeks, Aristotle said that some races were born to be slaves. That's Western thought. So where did this idea come from? Well, there's a man by the name of Brian Tierney. He was a medieval historian at Cornell, um, and he recently died back in November. But over the course of the last 20 years of his life, he basically proved that this idea of human and civil rights, it originated in the Bible. And you can go look through the collection of academic books that he has written and see where that development comes from. But let me give you an example. Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 6, where God says, From this fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. And then he goes on to say, For God made man in his image. What did God just say there? Well, he said that I'm going to hold you accountable for the life of your fellow man. Why? Not because it's a rule, not because I'm telling you to do it, but because like you, they are also made in the image of God. And that gives them intrinsic value too. That's where this idea came from. That's why we do what we do, is because it originated in the text. We, we pull our truth in the way we live from that. And if you want to push it a little further, Right? What about the modern civil rights? What, where did Martin Luther King Jr. get his ideas and his inspiration? Well, there's a book that came out in 2009, Martin Luther King Jr. and the Image of God. And through it, you can see that that's why he did what he did, because he understood the implications of the image of God. In one of his most famous sermons, The American Dream, he's quoted saying, not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has a capacity to have fellowship with God. And that gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. We must never forget that as a nation. There is no gradations in the image of God. I love that quote. And the core idea of civil rights and human rights, it comes from the Imago Dei, the image of God. And we see that idea developing in the first chapters of our Bible. Now, many of you at this point are probably nodding along, right? You understand this, you're tracking, but allow me to develop this idea one step further before we take a closer look at Genesis. You see, we recognize that others are made in the image and likeness of God. We recognize that that's good, but what happens when a society begins to lose sight of that truth? What happens when a society begins loosening their belief on God entirely? Thus, making their idea of the image of God to fade as well. Uh, and, and their idea of God in that theology, it goes along the way, right? What happens to a society when we lose sight of God in the image of God? Well, if I no longer view my fellow human as made in the image of God, therefore holding intrinsic value and objective and irrefutable, then why should I 
Or why should we as a society thrive to protect and value other humans? Like, what would be the point if we're no longer made in the image of God, if there's no longer any irrefutable value in a person, why should we strive and thrive to protect other human beings that are not made in his image? Well, here's how secularism will answer that question. It all depends on capacity. It all depends on capabilities, who is capable, who has the capacity, who has the rationale, who can hold in their mindset rational thoughts. It's those people who have value. So all you have to do is think through that thought one step and you begin to see the, the foundation of it crumble beneath itself. If it is all about one's capability and capacity, then what happens to unborn and newborn children? What about elderly people that are entering into the stages of dementia? What happens to the mentally unstable because they no longer fit the mold of worth or dignity or value under that standard? You see, secularism has no answer when it comes to determining the value of all humans. But Christians, Christians have, have had that answer from the very beginning. The Imago Dei. We are all made in the image of God. And when the church first formed in the Greco-Roman world, it went out of its way to care for women and unwanted children and the sick and the widow and the foreigner. And so we also must not lose sight of the Imago Dei. Let's move to Genesis. The opening chapters of Genesis, the author, he shook the ancient world with a bold claim. All humans are made in the image of God. It's, it's a statement that's still revolutionary even today. But what does it mean? Like we've talked about up to this point why that phrase matters. It tells me that I have intrinsic value, others have intrinsic value, and that we should be seeking human and civil rights based off of that ideology. But what does it actually mean to be made in the image? Like, what is the author trying to convey to me? Why is it so, such a powerful idea? Well, in the ancient world, specifically the ancient Near East, to be made in the image of God was a depiction reserved for only two things, idols and kings. And when Genesis uses this phrase, image of God, he uses this word, salam. So instead of it saying image of God, it might say salam of God. And what that Hebrew word here, you might not know this, but that Hebrew word salam is used other places in your Bible, but is, is uh, also translated as idol. So what does God do at the very beginning in the garden? He makes idols of himself. So what are idols? Well, idols served as a reflection an embodiment of the God they were representing. They were placed in sacred spaces and temples where God and human interact and connect with each other. And here's the thing about idols. They weren't actually God themselves. They just served as a, as a mediating representation of a God. So that's one image of God. It's an idol. And the other place it was reserved was for kings. And they were often given this title in the ancient world. They were images of God. They were special chosen rulers who not only represented God, but ruled and reigned on behalf of God. In fact, kings were so intertwined with gods that many people began to look at kings as divine themselves. They were se separate and segregated from the average person. And you can already begin to see how classes and segregation of people 
would seep into ideology where only certain people were considered image bearers of the divine. So in the ancient world, idols and kings were the image bearers of God. They reflected who the God was, and they also ruled and reigned on behalf of God. And then the author of Genesis, he swoops in and he makes a sweeping claim. No, no, no. It's not just idols. It's not just kings. All humans, every single person is made in the image of God. Are you beginning to see the implications of that statement now? Not only are we representations of God, but we were designed for a purpose. We've talked about that. To rule and reign and be fruitful. And again, I'm going to take some liberties as I move to the conclusion of today's sermon. So again, I encourage you, go check out the Bible Peel, thebiblepeel.com. Go check out wherever you find podcasts, type in the Bible Peel, and listen to the discussion Tracy and I have to fill in some of these gaps. Plug over. (laughs) Our ruling and reigning is to call, our ruling and reigning that God has given us, it's a call to advance God's creation. God has created this amazing space, and he has made the decision to co-partner with us in that project. We are called to rule alongside God in this good, amazing place that he has made. Listen to how the psalmist in Psalm 8 reflects on Genesis chapter 1. What were mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God. You crowned them with glory and honor. That's what God did for us. God, you gave human beings a charge of everything that you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all of the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean current. Now, maybe you listen to this and you think, well, this is a pipe dream. Like, like how could the author of Genesis see through these rose-colored glasses? Because if you read Genesis chapter 3 and onward, you see, and we're going to see in this series, the failure of living out our designed intention. Like, we're constantly rejecting God's provision of what is good, what is not good. We're rejecting our call. We're handing over our image-bearing nature to other things, to other idols, like money and power and sex and success and other people. And the idols that we give power to, whether physical or not, they're robbing us of our nature. So how, can the, so how can the overtly optimistic view of humanity in Genesis 1 and 2 be possible when we all know what we're capable, capable of in the horrible things that we can do? How is this possible? Well, that's when Jesus steps in on the scene. Jesus walked around speaking and teaching on the kingdom of God. In fact, it was easily one of Jesus' favorite subjects. Jesus preached the coming kingdom of God, the coming of God's new rule and reign in his rebellious world. In Jesus' teachings, they focused on what living in that coming world is going to look like. The last would be first. Loving the enemy would be the top priority. The unlikely would be blessed. Those who wanted to lead must serve. And in his time on earth, Jesus demonstrated what true ruling and reigning looked like. He was the king of all the kings, and Jesus ruled immensely different than any other king the world has seen. 
And Jesus, he invites humans into this new way. In fact, it's the original way of being human. The way Jesus modeled his life for us and what he has called us into is not a new way necessarily. It's the original way. And when we follow the ways of Jesus' kingdom, we are following the path of true humanity. This is what we were created to do and be. The opening chapters of the Bible, it invites us to reimagine the human life. Amidst our flaws and sinful actions, it's an invitation from Jesus to join a new way of living. You were made for a purpose. You were made to cultivate and tend to a garden. And now you have to identify where that garden is. What have you been given? What are you called to rule and reign over under God's provision? Were you called to tend to? What are you called to tend to? Is it a job or a child or a spouse or a friend? What are the things you are giving your image-bearing nature over to? And are there idols that you are serving and letting rule over you? Do the things that God has designed you to do in this world he's created. Rid your life of idols that are not made in his image and tend to the things that have been given to you. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. Let's start living towards that truth. Thank you for joining us for our online worship experience. I want to give one last reminder that we are going to have free COVID-19 testing here on our campus tomorrow, beginning at 11 a.m., going to 2 p.m. You can register on our website. You'll see the link whenever you get there. Or if you want to just show up, you can fill out the registration here live, and then you can get the test for free. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors. Thank you so much for joining us for our online worship experience. Have a blessed rest of your week.